All right, session five, 10 session series. And we need to spend a little time each week kind of connecting these because they really do build on one another. The topic is power. And uh, we're talking, and we titled the series Power Broker. Broker is somebody that's saying, here's a need, and uh, here's a supply, and hooks those together. Power flows from God. He gives it to us. In fact, it's the subtitle of the series, to, to get it and to use it and to give it away. And so that's what we've been talking about. The first week we talked about uh, power and did an, an overview. Then we talked about, in these last three weeks, we've talked about proficiency, right? Right person, right place. They're wired to do it. Get them there. Get out of their way. Let them do it. We talked about ownership, and that is everything you have is in your possession, but it's not yours. God has transferred possession to you, but not ownership to you. So you're a steward, not an owner. And that changes your relationship to everything. That changes your relationship to your time, your energy, your work, everything. Last week we talked about work, and we said, hey, you need to have a meaningful assignment in your work. doesn't mean we're all working on the cure for cancer, but it means that I have something that I'm about. I understand it. I'm engaged in this. I'm pursuing it. In fact, remember what we tried to do? We tried to pull some things together and say, if you can really get somebody who has what they can do and what they want to do and what they're being paid to do, boy, you got something real special. That overlap is in the zone. And the same works in a volunteer organization at a church. If I get somebody who's, who can do this and they're paid to do this or they're volunteering to do this and they want to do it, that's somebody very, very special. So we're... Uh, that's what we've talked about. Today, in session five, we, we talk about encouragement. Uh, it, I get a little nervous at this because I'm not the uh, greatest in the world. I've wanted to almost begin today by saying, I'm Tom and I'm a discourager. Uh, but I decided not, not to do that. I, I, I probably am more gracious to myself than I really deserve. But I feel like I'm getting better in this area. What I find particularly frustrating is that I'm getting better with most of you, but not with the people I love the most. I don't know why that is. Why, why is it that, that I can be this person out here, but I get home, and for whatever reason, that's the last thing? Years and years and years ago, early 40s, the Mills Brothers had a song, really popular song, and I was raised on a lot of different music, but I loved the Mills Brothers. They were like my favorite of the groups. I loved the Mills Brothers and Benny Goodman and Glenn Miller. Those were kind of the three I really liked. Those are good ones. And the Mills Brothers used to have a song that went like this. You always hurt the one you love, the one you shouldn't hurt at all. You always take the sweetest rose and crush it till the petals fall. You always break the kindest heart with a hasty word you can't recall, and then this total disconnect sentence. So if I broke your heart last night, it's because I love you most of all. Huh? <laughs> but that's kind of true. I don't know why that is, other than if I could venture a guess, with the ones we're closest to, we let them see what we're really like. So you're not near the pro you thought you were, I guess, is the announcement of that. I want to take, uh, as you're working your way, some of you get so bent out of shape on filling in outlines, so uh, let me, <laughs> you know, I, I feel for you, but I want to deal, I want to deal with, <laughs> I want to take, I want to take I 
and do that section on your outline first. William Barclay writes this, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. There's a regulation in the Royal Navy which says no officer shall speak discouragingly to another officer in the discharge of his duties. Abraham Lincoln uh, once began a letter by writing, everyone likes a compliment. William James said, the deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. He didn't speak, he didn't speak mind you, of the wish or the desire or the, or the longing to be appreciated, but the craving to be appreciated. Dale Carnegie said, here is a gnawing, unfaltering human hunger, and the rare individual who honestly satisfies this heart hunger will hold people in the palm of his hand, and I love the next phrase, even the undertaker will be sorry when he dies. So that's what we're talking about, this power of encouragement. I'll go ahead and tell you up front, I'm not talking about blowing smoke at somebody. I'm not talking about lying to them. I am talking about consciously making an effort to commend them. When we talk about the power of encouragement, here's what we're talking about. People are empowered when they are commended for their past performance, present proficiency, and predicted potential. Past, present, future. Give you, give you a couple of examples. When Haley, we talked last week about Haley's high school graduation. Uh, it, it, she went to a, a, a Christian high school. And uh, at the end of this, kind of the big award that they give every year, it's always a surprise, is the Christian Character Award. And they always give one of those to a member of the senior class. So in Haley's, Haley's senior year, that was Haley. And so she got up and did their thing. And, and you never know who's going to get it. And so afterwards, you've got all the hubbub of, of post graduation going on. Kids want to get together, get the pictures taken. And I said, hey, I need to talk to you for, for just a second. I don't need a lot of time. I just don't want to let this moment get away. So I kind of got her over in the corner where it was just the two of us, and she had her heels on, so she's about six inches taller than me, which is a little bit discouraging. And, and, I, and I said, Haley, and she's just looking. Her eyes are just, I mean, we are, we're connected. I said, Haley, I don't want to talk about the future, okay? I don't even want to talk about this. I'm proud of you. You know that. I want you to know I'm proud of you. I want to talk about what got you here. I want to talk about how God has given you something very special. He's given you a very sharp mind and a very tender heart. You love people. You love that scripture. You are a very special girl. There's something special and extraordinary about you. And God's done that in your life. And you've been obedient to him. And I don't want to take any more of your time because I know you've got pictures you want to get and all sorts of... And I want you to have fun. But I want you to understand what this moment is about. I want you to understand how special this is. And I want you to know how proud I am of what you've done in, in your life. And she kind of reached down and gave me a hug and I said, Hey, babe, listen, we've got plenty of time together. You go be with your friends. Well, that was a very important moment of commending the past. And as you talk to her, you could see it put energy in her. It's not just past, it's, it's present. I, had a, I have three staff people. I have been so proud of our staff that basically in 14 years nobody's left. We've had to help a few people make some career decisions, but, 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 but no, no one's ever left. People don't leave our staff. And I'm losing three people, three key people right now. And they're all, it's got nothing to do with us. They're all moving out of state, one out of the country. 
It's just one of those weird deals. So one of them was leaving, and we had a little get-together for her, and, and, I, and I tried to make this point. Here's what she coordinates. She coordinates what we call front line. Ushers, greeters, making sure you're there. She's been on the job about seven months, and I had the privilege to say to her, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone come into a job that has such little description and give it, give it legs, give it description, take a skeleton, put skin on it, and to see what you've done and the impact that you've had on this church in seven months that'll last for a long, long time. And, and you could just see, not, by the way, not only hopefully did that edify her, it edified the whole group. I'm, con I'm just was a guy with a guy the other day, and he's, he's always wanted to be a cop, and and uh, I told him, you're going to be a great cop, man. And he's been, he now been through school, and he's, out, he's been on the street a little bit. And I said, man, you're going to be great. You're made for this. I said, what do you see in the street? And he said, a lot of your church people, sir. And I said, okay, well, that's not what we, it's not what we wanted to hear, but to hear that you can do it. So here's, here's our charge. Not to lie, not to exaggerate, not to blow smoke, but to commend people, sometimes for what they have done, sometimes for what they are doing, and, and sometimes for what you can see in their future. Just, just talking to Sarah the other day, and I said, you know, Serge, you're going to be an incredible mom, man. I mean, you're, gonna, you're wired. You're wired for this. You will be unbelievable. And she was over last night saying, Dad, I think I'm going to do a Hawaiian theme for the baby's room. And she's talking about all this thing and how do we teach him and, and what do we read. There's just great moments. And that's the power of encouragement. Let's look kind of at the hallway of, of history, your history. Well, i got three questions for you. Who are three people who've had the greatest impact in your life? Were they people who practiced encouragement? And will you be impacted in the future by people who don't practice encouragement? Now, I want to be really fair and honest with you and tell you when I asked the question, who are three people who impacted your life, had the greatest impact, I think the tendency of most people is to think positive. I immediately thought negative. I, I thought about the guy who said to me, you know what, if that's the best you can do, give up. Because if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. I thought about coaches along the way. We used to have a high school PE teacher. He didn't want to be there. We didn't want to be there. Nobody wanted to be there. And it was the late 60s, and he hated us, and we weren't too fond of him. And he just thought we were nothing. And here's what he would do. He said, guys, because we were all boys. Our school was co-institutional, uh, meaning we had girls and boys under the same roof, but we never got to see each other. So it's all boys PE. He said, boys, you know, and remember now, it's the late 60s. He said, I want to give you something that when you leave here, I think most of you will be using pretty quickly. Line up. He said, all right, ready, march. Left, right, left, right. And that was kind of his way of encouraging us uh, in our future. And so he wasn't very helpful. The classic, and I've used it in here before, the first person I thought of in this whole thing, and, and, and it's amazing because it's 51 years years ago, is my, is my kindergarten teacher, Miss Julie. And I could, I could take you back to the room we were in. It was probably about half the room, half this size. It was not set up in the traditional way. There were six tables, and they were set at kind of a V, so they pointed to the middle. Her desk was here. It was the end of a day, half day. We went half days. 
I didn't want to be there. The first day, my mom walked me to school. It was about three and a half blocks. And when, once she got around the corner, I just followed her back home. I'd still be home with her if she wouldn't have kicked me out. <laughs> but we've been at it a few weeks now. And it's the end of the day. And Miss Julie said, everybody look up here. Everybody look at this. I want to show you this. Everyone look. Do you see this? Now, who colored this? I did. Okay, your name, Tom. Okay, Tom colored this. Now, everybody look. I want you to learn now. And it was two kids playing in the snow. See how they have on red snowsuits? Well, he put orange gloves on them. Don't you ever, ever, ever put red and orange together. <laughs> now, that's... I, I, I'm okay, that's 51 years ago, I have long since lost track of Miss Julie, 51 years and she was not a spring chicken then, my assumption is she's, I would assume, in hell. Um, And if God is a God of justice, and he is, she's forever chained to someone in a red suit with an orange tie. Okay, that's what I... But, and, I, and, I and again, I, I, you know, whatever. If, you're, if, if you had a Miss Julie in your past, I mean, honestly, get over it. But, but isn't that incredible? I mean, I think I'm a relatively healthy guy, and that's 51 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. See, when you get into this whole thing, you're talking about the power of the tongue. You have Bibles with you? Why don't you open them to James chapter 3? James chapter 3 has in it, James chapter 3 in it has the longest contiguous passage that we find in all of Scripture dealing with the topic of the tongue or speech. There's something else about James chapter 3. Because some of you, uh, and there's always people with us who are with us for the first time, there's always people who are, are also new to the faith. So everything is new. And that's a good thing. And you may, because I remember when I started uh, trying to study this Bible, for me to find a book, I had to go to the index. So I got tabs. You know, spend a couple bucks, get the tabs. And that's easier. And, and, and I thought, I'll never understand this. Well, James chapter 3 is a great chapter. You don't need to have, have an understanding of Greek. You don't even really have to understand much of the context around it. If you want to be encouraged and you want to learn how to study and just see the power you have, take James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12 and just start to make some notes and some observations. It's really a great place to start and to see how perceptive you are and how unintimidating a lot of the Scripture is. And I don't know if unintimidating is a word, but it should be. Um, James is talking about the tongue. And he said, let, ne let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. And now he gives us an illustration. He's talking about the tongue. And he uses two very practical illustrations. This one, especially practical, since uh, the Derby is this Saturday. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths so that they may obey us, we direct the entire body as well. 
Here's what he's saying. Here's this big horse, this little jockey. There's no way that this little jockey can control the horse except for the bit. When he has control of the tongue, that little thing, he controls and maneuvers the horse. Here's the second illustration. Behold, the ship also, though it's so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Here's this massive ship, and literally, I was watching a show the other night on, on cruises, and the captain's literally steering it like this. I mean, with a, he can steer it with just a real easy. But he, the rudder controls the entire ship. And so also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a fire is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set a, among our members as that which defiles the entire body and is set on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea has been tamed and has been tamed by the human race. I'm watching a show not long ago, and they're showing how they're training spiders and ants to play roles in movies. How to move the spider in such a way at a certain time. It's amazing. But, he said, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now you can go on and read the rest of that. Here's what he's saying. No one can tame the tongue on their own. But the power of the Spirit is, fruit of the Spirit is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Here's, here's what we're saying. All of a sudden, you have this power over this tongue. And you can do great damage with it, just like a little spark can set a forest on fire. Or you can do great positive things with it the way you control a horse. So positively, and I take my mom and dad and my immediate family out of the equation. You know, Susan's the first person I really ever met that kind of said, I think you might someday perhaps could be something. Now, there's no empirical data to support that. But, but I think you might be something someday. I worked for a guy by the name of Jim Wentworth, and I'd been a Cobalt banker probably about a year, a little plus, and, and I wasn't doing very well, and I couldn't really get my focus. And, and Jim called me in, and he said, you know, I think you're, you might be too smart for this job. I said, that's it. I'm too smart. And he said, Tom, look, it, you're thinking too much. Just go do it. You're going to do fine. Just go do it. I know you can do this. You can, you're the guy. You can do this. And it just lit me on fire. But by, by far, the guy on the top of the list would be Larry. In, in the entire time I knew Larry, so 20 plus years, he never said one critical word to me. Now, there's probably some correction that needs there, because you do need criticism. But once I understood his, his way of doing it, I understood what he was saying. So I would go to him and I'd say, I'm, I'm going to do this. And he would say, have you ever thought of, which was his way of saying, you idiot, you moron, don't do, don't do that. But he set me down after I'd been a Christian a year, and he said to me, I don't know if I've ever been around such a natural gift set in a guy. And what a shame to see you not using it. You need to get on the stick. And that's that power of encouragement. That's the power you have. You know, we talk a lot in here about lessons and things and say, you need to have this because someday, you don't have to wait for someday. You can implement this today, right now. The essence of encouragement is to come alongside 
and make courageous. To come alongside someone. Now, we're talking a lot about human encouragement here, but let me tell you, you're not always going to have that Jim Wentworth or that Larry Wright or Susan there. You're, you're going to be times when you're going to be out there and feeling like you're going all alone. Let me remind you of a great exercise for you, especially with summer coming. Somebody the other day said, give, why don't you give us a summer reading list, some recommendations. So I think I'm going to work on that. But let me give you a Bible summer reading list. Read John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And when I say read them, I mean read them and make notes and study it and go back through it and break it apart. Uh, get online. Get online and get yourself some Bible study tools. Uh, I can give you a website. I think it's just Bible, what is it, BibleStudyTools.net maybe. I'll do a little work. There's tons of stuff. And really study those. And, in the, and what that is, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, is Jesus saying goodbye to his disciples. He's going to be killed the next day. And it begins with, let not your heart be troubled. Well, in the midst of this, the reason he's saying that is, it's going to get a little scary now. It's going to get a little tense now. He says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another, a helper. He speaks of the Holy Spirit. And the word another, like if I say, oh, you lost that envelope, I'll get you another one. It means something sort of like. In the Greek, the word another here means, no, same like, same kind, same substance. In other words, he's going to give you a helper, and it's going to be just like me. It's going to be God. This time, God the Holy Spirit indwelling you. As you work through Scripture, there's certain things where you go, I can't believe this is in here. This is an amazing thought. And one of them is this. Jesus is walking along with the disciples, and he says this. I'm going to leave you, and it's better for you that I'm gone. See, that doesn't compute to me because I'm thinking about the best that can happen is if Jesus walked in here. And he's saying, no, uh-uh, I got something better. Then rather than have me walk along, I'm going to have a spirit in you. I'm going to have a spirit that's going to come along, and here's what the spirit's going to do. He's going to cause you to be born again. He's going to convict you of your sin. He's going to open up the scriptures so you understand it. Here's the term the scripture is. He's going to seal you for the day of redemption. Here's what that means. It means if you're sitting here right now and you're genuinely a Christian, it means nothing can break that relationship and you're God's forevers and that's, and that's sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian today, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have an intimate personal relationship with him today, you're as sure of heaven as the saints that are already there. I came from a background that didn't teach that. They said, yeah, you may be in, but you could sin your way out. Yeah, you may be around, but you could screw it up. That's not what the scripture teaches. Natural man cannot understand spiritual things. In other words, you, me, us, when we're born, we are dead spiritually. But the Holy Spirit comes along and opens our eyes. And all of a sudden we're going, I never saw that before. I could never get this before. I never understood why, but this never made sense. Or I spent all these years in this environment or this church, and it was dead and I wasn't getting anything out of it, but I didn't have the courage to move or really the reason to move. And then all of a sudden I did. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see this truth. In fact, the Scripture says in the book of Romans that there's times when we're praying and we're going, I don't even know what to pray about. And the Spirit prays on our behalf. That's really important. So when we're talking about courage, we're talking about to come alongside, to put courage into, into you. 
And now you begin to live, not naturally, but supernaturally. So now when life throws this junk at you that it will, and you begin to not just survive it, but thrive in it, and people are saying to you, hmm, there's something, I don't get it. I don't know how you can withstand that. You go, hey, it's not me. It's God living in me. Okay? We've got about 15 minutes. I want to answer a couple more questions. If, if, this is so important, why are people not encouragers? Well, four reasons. Number one, they're discouraged themselves. You can't give away what you don't have. Number two, they're indifferent. Don't get it, don't care. Number three, they're ignorant. Don't understand how important this is. And number four, they're sick. They're destructive. They're destructive in their motives. There's people out there who are bad people. They're just bad people. And their deal is to make everybody else miserable. And you know them in your life. They're just bad people. For the sake of this discussion, it doesn't even matter what their motive is. It's just that they get their kicks by tearing down and ruining people around them. And you actually live at a time where the whole idea of really destroying and attacking is really catching fire. It, in a obviously, it's a political year, so no longer is there a, some sort of a sophisticated discussion. There's just poles arguing at each other, painting the other person as extreme. So one set who wants to raise money are going to send you pictures of Teddy Kennedy running the country, and the other set are just going to send you pictures of George Bush running the country. And we're going to do all personalities, and nobody, it's like this immigration thing. I don't understand a lot of it. I've got some really strong opinions I'm developing. But the one thing that everybody says is, what? Secure the border. We should not have to go along. And I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just saying, everybody seems to say secure the border, so why don't you just go do that? Well, we can't argue about that because there's other agendas. I think most people don't encourage because they're indifferent and ignorant. I think those are the top two reasons. You've lost civility. You've lost just the idea of a kind word. I need to go to the drugstore today to pick up some things. Okay? I'm going to go in. I can tell you, what, I can tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to go in. I'm going to find what I need, some hair products and other things. And I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to scan my card. I'm going to hit approved. I'm going to sign a thing. The person on the other side is going to give me a bag. Okay? And you know what? You know what they're going to say to me? Have a good day. That drives me nuts. I just gave you 15 bucks for 15 cents worth of stuff. Say thank you to me. In fact, it's gotten to where they give me the bag and I say thank you and they say to me, you're welcome. And I'm saying, this is all backwards. <laughs> Why am I saying thank you? for the right to shop at Walgreens or Osco or whatever it is. So people don't even know. Yeah, I, I want to I ha hang here, because we got especially a demographic, I think, of, of people kind of around my age, maybe a little bit younger and a little bit older. And I hear a lot about, well, I never got this from my parents. I'm in a group one day, 12 guys. It's, it's, it's early in the year. It's, the, it's actually December. We're getting ready to go into a brand new year. There's 12 guys, and they said, here's what we're going to do. Every month, we're going to have one guy talk about his life, who he is, where he's from, how it's going, what work is, all this stuff. And we're going to just talk about it. And I said, all right, I'll take December, because uh, by then we'll all lose steam in this. 
I got zero interest in talking about what I'm thinking and who I am and all this stuff with a bunch of guys I barely know. The first guy gets up in January, and he starts talking about a pretty successful business guy, and all of a sudden he says, my dad never told me that he loved me. And he starts crying. And he's crying and he's crying and he's crying. Now, now I'm, I, I'm, I, I can't handle this stuff. I'm not very good at this. So I said, well, how about you? And I, went all, I said, did, did your dad tell you love you? No. And they were all guys about my age. Did your dad know? Did your dad know? Did your dad know? Did your dad know? Well, no, 11 guys never heard from the dad they loved. They said, Tom, did your dad tell you to love you? I said, every day. He said, you can eat this and you can sleep here. That's exactly what he said to me, which is the way he says, I love you. Man. I talk to a lot of guys that are in their late 70s and 80s, and here's what they say. I really feel like I kind of screwed up with my kids, but here's what he said. Tom, we didn't have Dr. Dobson. In other words, we didn't know. We're just killing ourselves. If you want to understand, if you're my age or around, and you want to understand the, ne the older generation, I'm going to recommend a book to you. It's a great book. It's called Another Country. Now, here's the problem when I recommend a book, is you all want to come back and show me all the bad stuff. The only book we wholeheartedly endorse, endorse is the Bible. Everything else has errors in it. So don't come running back and saying this is really screwed up. There's a bunch of screwed up stuff in there. There's some psychology in there that's really goofy. But if you want to understand that other generation, that book is really, really, really helpful. So if you're one of these, especially guys, walking around saying, my dad never told me he loved me. My dad never told me he loved me. Here you go. Get over it. Suck it up and let's go. Especially if he's dead. Do you understand? You're never going to get closure on this. He's dead. He's not coming back. He's not going to tell you he loves you. He's proud of you. Let me be your dad for you. He's proud of you and he loves you. Get over it. You can't be carrying this around. You can't get it fixed. And for goodness sake, if you understand the pain of what it, what it means to never hear that, you better make sure that your kids are hearing from you all the time. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm proud of you, I'm proud of you, I'm proud of you, I'm proud of you. Proud of you. Because if you need it, how much do they need it? And if you know what they need and you're not giving it to them, you got issues, you got sin. So do it. I understand how hard it is. I really do. I understand the power of words. I understand how it can percolate for 51 years from a kindergarten teacher. But you know what? I can't fix it. And I'm not going to let some goofy kindergartner teacher from 51 years ago run my life now. And if your dad never did it, he, maybe he wasn't comp Maybe he didn't love you. Even then, whatever. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter at this point. They can't fix it. Write him a letter, take him to Starbucks, tell him you love him, and then you've done everything you can. But you can't let your life be ruined by what your dad didn't do out of either ignorance or indifference. He didn't know. They didn't know. They were busy trying to make a living. Banks were crashing. When, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, whatever it was, two months ago when I had that meeting with John Wooden, we were talking about life, and I was talking about, you know, tell me about your life. He got married August 8th, 1932. He had saved up $909.05. On August 6th, 1932, his bank crashed. He lost everything. And it's, an, I mean, it's really a compelling story. But you know what? That was everybody's story. They were busy getting eggs and a little bread. Not even wheat bread. Not, they didn't even love you enough to give you wheat bread. They gave you Wonder Bread. Okay? <laughs> it's the way it is, man. Roll on with it. Here you go. 
Let me tell you where you aren't going to find encouragement. You aren't going to find it in your circumstances. You aren't going to find it in your accomplishments. No one cares. When you get the award for the greatest blim-blam and you're walking on the stage, everyone in the room hates you because they wish they had it. And the minute you're home and alone, it's hollow and it doesn't matter because you busted your pick to get the award and now you got the award nobody cares. You're not going to find encouragement from your assets. You know, I remember a couple years ago we painted the house. I pulled into the garage. I didn't hear the house say, my, we feel well today. We have a new coat of paint. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, you might. You'll get a bill for $28,000 or something for this stupid thing. And you're not going to get encouragement from your discouraged friends. I'm going to give you a couple of principles. One of them is a basic 101 economic principle. It's a philosophy behind encouragement. What you tax, you discourage. What you feed, you encourage. I, I remember hearing uh, uh, Barry Asmus one time, just talking about money. And we're at, we're at breakfast talking about money. And he's talking about how global it is and billions are moving around the world. And he said, it's real simple. Capital goes where it's welcomed and it stays where it's treated well. So you tax, 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 tax. It's going someplace else. You're going to find a new way around it. it, it here you go. You're going to be either an encourager or discourager to someone. And you're going to find this encouragement as you become more, really, the person that people want to be around. You've got people in your life, you can see them coming. Here they come, and you can feel your stomach turning. You know what this is going to be. This is going to be a giant drain. They're going to, I see them this way. They'll come at me with some inane Bible question that I've never heard of or couldn't care less about. Or they'll come with some, don't you feel this? Or how about this? Or parsing some verb. I don't care. And I'm going to have to listen to 20 minutes of this and then, get, and then have somebody give me a book this thick on something I don't care about and say, will you read it? And I'm say, no, I don't care about it. And when they're gone, I feel, I, my best description, like a car whose lights have been left on all night. I can't wait to see him go. If I could hide, I will. That's not a very good confession, is it? But it's true. None of them in this room. But you know what I mean. Right? But I got other people that when I see them, I'm afraid they aren't going to see me. I'm, I'm afraid that I want to say, hey, wait, 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 yeah, Bob and me. Talk to me. I want to spend time with you. If you don't have any friends, all you got to do is figure out what do you want in a friend and then do that in your life. And you'll have plenty of friends. They'll be all around. Here you go. Here's the biblical model. I'll give you five things here. Number one, tell people you're praying for them. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul is just commending uh, Timothy, talking about him, and he said, I constantly remember you in my prayers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he does the same thing. I constantly remember you. Well, wait a minute. Why wouldn't he just pray for him? Why does he tell him? Because something happens. Something happens when you hear that. There's a connect. One day Susan's at Costco and she's checking out, and somehow she has something that says East Valley Bible Church on it. The gal checking her out says, do you go to East Valley Bible Church? And Susan said, yep, I do. The gal said, I've been praying every day for the pastor's wife because I know she's sick. And Susan said, really? She said, yeah, 
and, and she said, you know what? I've never met her. If you go to church there and you see her, would you tell her that the girl at Costco is praying for her? Now, that has a whole big effect on Susan. There's nothing wrong with praying for somebody, and there's nothing wrong with telling them. In fact, it seems to be Paul's model. He even drops him a note saying, hey, I was thinking about you today. I got a couple of guys, uh, and I'm on a wavelength with a guy right now. I don't see him much, and every time he calls, he, he, he called the other day, and he said, I don't know why, I don't understand it, but I've been thinking about you all day and praying for you and Susan, and it was the very day we found out the cancer was back. And so I called him, and we don't have a really close relationship. I just called him, I said, hey, you know, you left a note. I, wanted to, I want you to know what's going on. And he called the other day, and he said, you just left a note. He said, Tom, I wanted you to know, I'm praying for you today. It was the day that Susan had surgery. He had no way of knowing. There's something powerful about that. Here's the second thing. Affirm people's uniqueness. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 5 through 7, Paul's talking about Timothy's uniqueness. Okay? I'm reminded, uh, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift that's in you, which is in you through the laying on of hands. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I can't stand it when somebody gets up and says, they don't, they're evolutionists, they believe everything's an accident, and we're going nowhere, and they say you're special. How can I be special if I'm an accident? You are special. God made you unique and different. Every one of you will have a unique expression of how God works in your life. Every one of you have a unique background. And let's be honest, some of it's yucky. Some of it's got a lot of stuff in there that we're not proud of, we're not happy about, we didn't want to go through it, but we went through it. Didn't even understand why. Uh, all of you have been placed by God, sovereignly, in a job, in a home, in a place, and you have a constituency, meaning you have people around you. That's how special you are. You have a special background and a special giftedness. God has sovereignly placed you. You may not understand why, but he's placed you in this office, or he's placed you at that club, or he's put you in that foursome, or he's placed you in that neighborhood for a reason and for a purpose. And that's not to blow smoke at you. That's to remind you that each and every day is a gift from God, and God has you here, and there's really only a couple of reasons you're here, frankly. One is to praise and worship him. The other is to encourage and equip the body. And the other one is to share with lost people. There's not much left to do after that. And if you really want to get down and dirty about it, everything you're doing here on earth, you'll do better in heaven, except what? <laughs> Golf. No, I don't think that's true. You know? Yeah. Except one thing. What is that? No. Evangelism. Everything else you'll do better in heaven. My praise is better. My worship is better. My life is better. I'm holier. All this stuff. But there's no evangelism there. So I would say of those things I'm being about and in my life, evangelism ought to be at the top of the list. And I think it really is. And I don't say this to be harsh. I don't say this to, 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 to put guilt on you. But I think you ought to take a look at your life and see if in the last six, nine months, God has used you to bring somebody to understand who he is. God, has God given you opportunities to share the gospel and have you taken them? And if not, something, uh, something's really wrong with you. He's given you a background. 
As I say, it may be really goofy, but if you have a goofy background, it means you have goofy people around you, and goofy people really need to hear the gospel. You know, it may be a family, it may be a workplace, he may have given you great wealth, and so you have a, a unique uh, kind of entree into a, a demographic, if you will. He puts you in a job. Here's the third thing. Express to people high expectations of them. Paul's writing here to Philemon, and uh, he's talking about a slave that's run away. And Paul doesn't tell him what to do with the slave. He just simply says, I know you'll do the right thing. And there's a great burden in that. Haley came to me one day, it was in high school, and she said, Dad, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. I said, all right, stay home. And she said, do you want to know why I want to stay home? I said, not really. And she said, well, why don't you want to know? And I said, Haley, you've never, in I don't know how many years, whatever you got, 12 years of school, you've never asked to stay home. So for whatever reason, you feel like you need to stay home tomorrow. You feel like you're going to get sick or, or you got something. I don't, it doesn't even matter. I don't even care. Haley, I trust you. You're not going to do something stupid, and if you don't want to go to school tomorrow, don't go to school tomorrow. You know, whatever it is you need to do. And you could see in her eyes the burden of that, the heaviness of that. Now, if you'd have said that to me when I was a kid, I'd go, I don't want to go tomorrow, I don't want to go the next day, I don't want to ever go again, okay? So you've got to build a little relationship here, but we've got to let them know the bar is up here. I can tell you at, at church, and I can only speak about mine, I don't know about any others, I'm not sure we have the bar high enough for people. If you say you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there ought to be a bunch of things. Number one, there should be people working all over the joint. We should have more money than we know what to do with. Honestly. I don't talk about it. Never work you all in here. Never talk to you about money. I'm just saying that ought to be the most natural thing in the world. You ought to be giving away money at the speed of light. Once you figure out how much you need, the rest of it ought to be going right out that door into whatever God is doing. Start a church, and God's doing a whole bunch of other stuff as well. But that's the expectation. The bar is very high. Be holy. Be perfect. That's a pretty high bar for me to try to get over. Here's the fourth thing. Focus on, focus on what's important to them. Mark chapter 6. We won't turn there. It's a great scene. Jesus has sent the disciples out two by two. Now they come back to report to him. And there's so much going on that, that they can't even have a chance to eat. So he says, come on, let's go away. We're going by ourselves. And they get in the boat, and they're going to a quiet place. Now, why are they doing that? Well, they need rest. And I've and I got to tell you, if you're a, if you're a, a hermeneutic uh, guy uh, and uh, homiletics and all this, you're going to have a problem here because I'm going to move away from the text a little and go into what I think is human nature. I can't imagine that these guys came back two by two and said, it was really exciting. We cast out demons. All sorts of things happened. Wow, wow, wow. And Jesus said, that is really special. I must go and suffer and die and rise again. I can't imagine that. I've got to believe these guys are coming back, and the guy's going, hey, you're not going to believe what happened, and then his partner's going to go, but remember that. And then these two guys are going to say, that's nothing. And I'm thinking Jesus in the middle stoking this all the way along, going, wow, what about you guys? What about you? What about you? You have people in your sphere of interest and, or influence, and you need to be interested in what they're interested in, even if it's just to have a relationship with them. I got a guy who's into NASCAR. I couldn't care less. If they ran the race in my backyard, I wouldn't go out. 
all I would do is call the police and say, why is it so noisy? Couldn't care less. Don't know anything about it. I don't understand it. The guys that I'm with get into it. But this guy hangs around, and I bump into him every once in a while. And my brother's into this, too. But, but, but with a guy here, and I'll say to him, hey, how about that race? And I'll try to know who won the race. I couldn't care less, but I know it's important to him. And the fact that it's important to him establishes a conversation so that I can get in what's really important in life. Here's the last thing. Commend them to others. Paul writes in Philippians, and he says, listen, I'm sending Timothy to you. I'm sending Timothy, so I'll be cheered up by the news. He's on reconnaissance mission. I have no one else like him. And he just, he just talks about Timothy. I'm, I'm one night. Absolutely true story. I'm speaking at this deal. I'm a guest. Here's the introduction. Our speaker tonight is Tom Schrader. We're happy to have him here. We invited three other men to speak. None of them could accept. Would you welcome Tom? That's what he says. And I, said, and I got up, and I said, wow. I mean, I, I said, can I ask you? You don't need to answer now, but I want to know at the end, because I want to know what everybody else is, is, wants to know. Who are the other three? You know, and why did they have something significant to do tonight, and I could only be here? Uh, it was not an overwhelming, at least in my mind, introduction. But when you commend somebody, the expectation goes high. Let's put, let's, put a bow, let's put a bow on this and get some things of what we talked about. Number one, don't waste the rest of your life trying to get better at something you'll never be good at. you got ten things you do, three you do well, seven you do poorly. Don't go take classes on the seven. Focus on the three. We come back to that again and again and again and again. Some of you are in places where you're doing jobs for which you've been trained, but you don't have any appetite for them. So you need to quit. Now, it's going to take some time for that because you've got to get what you can do with what you want to do and what you're charged to do or paid to do. Can't necessarily happen, but you've got to have an exit strategy. Now, I want you to understand where we are. We're now talking about people who understand power. We've got the right person in the right place. They understand that they own and steward this mission. They have meaningful assignments, and they now have the courage put into them. We're ready to go, right? No. There's one thing that's missing. One more thing you need to do to that person. You now need to release him and give him the permission to go. You can have a guy that's all charged and everything else, but if you haven't released him, you got this kid and he's already, but you haven't released him, you're going to have problems. That's what we'll talk about next week. Father, help us see this truth, apply it to our heart. God, that you made us uh, in a unique, special, a different way. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that you affirm us in your word, that you point out our uniqueness, that you have high expectations of us, that you care about what we care about, and you love us. Father, thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.